I'm just reminding myself I'm among family. Yeah. Um, let's pray as we get started this morning. Yeah. Father, I just thank you for this message that you have conceived in me and now that you're about to deliver through me. And I just pray that you'll prepare hearts, minds, souls, spirit, and that you will communicate spiritual truths and spiritual words right now. I just say yes to you. I'm your vessel. And we do that together as a body today. We're so thankful for you, Jesus, for this story that you have written, that you are writing, and that you allow us to be a part of. I pray through Jesus. Amen. So earlier this year, I had the opportunity to speak to a group of middle school students in our community. And in a moment when they were working together in groups, I just kind of stood back and I asked God, when you see them, what do you see? So basically, I was just asking God to give me his heart for these students. And here is what I sensed him saying. (laughs) They have not had the opportunity to develop an appetite for me. They are overfull, overwhelmed, and overstimulated, but discontent, dysregulated, and dissatisfied. So sorry to start in kind of a bummer way, but I think EJ, we were actually tracking. EJ was preaching at the 10 o'clock from Haggai, and it's the same sense. We have so much, just like they had a lot of money, but it's like it was falling through the holes in their pockets. Lots coming in, but nothing that really satisfies and leaves them full. In kids and student ministry, as we've been praying about the next generation, we've heard this phrase, clear the clutter. Like, there's just so much coming at the next generation. They need people to help clear the way so that they can see clearly. You know, there's constant, maybe mindless activity, endless access to entertainment, and at the same time, this overexposure to evil and suffering in the world. I think it's left a generation confused, in chaos, anxious, and depressed, But you guys that have been attending here this year in 2023, you know that this is not just true about the next generation. I think we we all feel it. You know, so much so that Rick has preached two series this year, this year that has, has spoken right into this cultural moment. If you'll remember in January, it was soulful about the need to kind of take a deep breath and care for our souls. And then most recently, the Let's Talk About Mental Health series, where he spoke right into this cultural moment, identifying right now as a mental health crisis, not just in the world, but right here in the church. You know, it's not hard to see that there's a problem, <laughs> but how did, how did we get here? I think it's that we are accustomed to a way of life that is not really a way of life. If our lives are not centered and sourced from life, we don't have life. Is this making sense? <laughs> you know, the center, if we're, not, if we're not centered around life and if we're not sourced from or getting our life from life, then we don't really have life. But Jesus said something about this. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. So where is this life? Where is this, where is this abundant life? Uh, it's not a modern day problem, right? I mean, 
again, EJ's sermon was kind of took us back through Israel's history. This is not a modern, I mean, it's, it is a modern problem, but it's not just a modern problem. But it manifests in a particular way today. But since the very beginning of humanity, here's what we need to know. God designed his creation to operate in a certain way. He's the designer. He knew the way for us to have that, that full life. In fact, he, he designed us to center ourselves and be sourced from him, life itself. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, you'll see that there was even this tree of life in the garden, right? But just like our ancestors, we turned our back on life, the tree of life, and we have taken for ourselves the knowledge of good and evil. We've decided we know how to do life ourselves without life. So that's just like the short summary of what our problem is. <laughs> it just plays itself out ad nauseum throughout history. So if I was going to use one word to sum up the, the current cultural problem and issue, the way that, that reaching for knowledge and good, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil outside of life with God, if I had to sum it up in one word today, it would be the word secularism. You guys have probably heard of this word before. Um, James K. Smith defines it this way. Secularism is a way of constructing meaning and significance without any reference to God. And in the West, we are breathing the air of secularism. It's like default, right? Um, Secularism has discipled us to learn to live without God, without acknowledging Him, without acknowledging His activity, without acknowledging that actually He's the one that gives us breath in our lungs. Yeah. But without God, we don't have anything. We don't have connection. We don't have grounding. It's like we're floating untethered to reality at all. And when we do that, when we construct meaning and significance without God, we get what we're getting. John Tyson from the Church of the City in New York, he says this, secularism is doing a reverse exorcism. You know, when Jesus showed up and he encountered the demonic, he cast it out. But in a secular culture, when we encounter Jesus, we cast him out. And when we do that, when we cast out life, we get death. So right now, secularism is not characterized by any particular sin, although there are many. Rather, it's characterized by us building an identity and a reality without reference to God at all. It's viewing self as sovereign. I'm in charge of my life. And life as a blank canvas on which for me to express myself authentically. Okay. My life, my truth, and secularism leads to a lot of other isms, like hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, individualism, self-reliance, materialism and consumerism, this pursuit of stuff, owning and buying things, and then for some of us, nihilism, like maybe there's no point to anything. Here recently, it's looked a lot like spiritual secularism, like we'll believe in something in the spiritual, but no religion and no accountability. And the church is not exempt. Secularism in the church says something like this. You can have your faith, just keep it private, quiet, 
tame, compartmentalized. Right? You've heard of this, the, sec- the sacred secular divide. It's like, okay, here's the little box for the God stuff, and then here's the little box for the rest of your life. And actually, that's a pretty big box, I think, by the way we, by the way we live. So there's the problem. T- Sorry we started with a bummer. We're going we're gonna to take, take a turn here. Um, as I've spoke with many parents about kind of what's going on in our world right now, I typically get a response of fear. Has anybody been there? Like, what kind of world will our children inherit? Okay. So, if you guys know this, with a fear response, there are only so many choices. Fight, flight, or freeze. And I'm going to add one today. So, fight could look like well, if this is what the world is like, then we better get on it and we better take down culture. Culture needs to change for us, maybe culture wars, okay? For some of us, it looks like flight. Let's just get in some holy huddles and insulate ourselves from the rest of the world so we don't have to deal with it. Then maybe freeze. Sometimes we get so paralyzed with everything going on, we become stuck and ineffective. But I think this fourth one, camouflage, might be a little bit more insidious, actually. You know, animals do this for survival. They just blend in with the environment. Yeah. I think secularism in in the church looks like what I described before. You can have your God, just keep him in his little box. But friends, we do not have a spirit of fear. Yeah. So how are we gonna respond in this cultural moment without fear, without fighting, without flight, without freeze, without camouflage. Because here's what's true. I think we're underprepared and under-equipped for the blizzard onslaught of this cultural moment. It's like it snuck up on us, right? But church, here's the good news. And I think the rest of this message is gonna be good news. Jesus is not afraid and he is leveling up his church right now. Yeah. I think, you know, some of you have heard this. The word revival is in the air. Why? Because God knows when his church needs to be awakened. And I think he's awakening his church right now. We see it happening on a global scale. We hear it happening in the Muslim world, China, and places where people are persecuted for their faith. People are actually thriving in the spirit. But I think actually God can wake up his church in America too. And at at the hills. I think it's why right now in a lot of word-centered churches like the hills, there are churches like this that are receiving outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I also think, I heard this message from Francis Chan recently and he talked about the great divorce, how all these denominations and splinters of the faith, right? That actually what is happening now is like the movie, The Parent Trap, where they're coming back together and realizing, wait, why did we break up in the first place? So, you know, we're having churches with charismatic, evangelical, missional, sacramental backgrounds coming together in unity to learn from each other. If there's ever a time for that to happen, it's right now. We need like the full expression of the body of Jesus to meet, to meet this cultural moment. So, you know, um, kids in the room, you know, in video games, when you go from one level to the next in a video game, the challenges increase. 
But what does the designer of the video game always do? He gives you the opportunity to level up, right? You get access to like new weapons and new defense systems. I think that is what is needed in this cultural moment for us to meet the moment. We need to level up. So how do we do that? I think the most important thing we can do to meet this cultural moment is to build our lives around the presence of God. If the secular culture says there is no God, what better thing for us to do than to build our lives around the presence of God? And one way to do that, I'm gonna go through four pretty quickly. One way to do that is to tell stories. That's what we've been doing all morning, by the way. Luke that came up here and read scripture, he was reminding us of our story. But much of modern times is marked by rootlessness, a failure to be grounded in history or narrative. It's like we just showed up out of nowhere at this place in time with no connection to our past and no connection to our future. I think part of the enemy's tactics right now is like amnesia. Like where is our collective, where is our collective memory? And when this happens, we begin to design a narrative of our own, which usually looks like it starts with me and it ends with me. Yeah. So if you were at Camp Rev this past week, would you raise your hand? Okay, good. So you guys. So at Camp Rev this week, all the kids there, this was a camp for third through fifth graders, they were asked what their favorite movie or book or story was. Like one of those stories that you just wanted to hop into and be a character in the middle of it, okay? And then they were told, while you might not be able to get into that story, you're actually part of a much bigger story. And we spent some time talking to them about how the greatest story ever, and it's a story for all of us, it's our history and our future, is a story about God who created his kids, loved them, but then an enemy came and he tricked them and he wanted to confuse them about who God was and who they were. So they left God, but then a hero came. Who's the hero? Who's the hero? Uh-huh, so the hero came, Jesus, to remind them who they were and bring them back to God. Not only that, this hero, welcome them back into the story so they could take an active part in it. So we reminded kids that that's their real story. We can't hide this story from our kids. It's the reality. It is the reality. So right now, I'm gonna ask my father-in-law and my son to come up here and coach, uh, my kids call their grandfather coach. Coach is gonna tell you a story. Now, this is a faith anchoring story for him. And when he gets finished, Saya's gonna read a scripture and I think it's gonna make some sense there. So welcome coach and Sai. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of love, but there was more anxiety, anger, conflict, uh, discontent. And uh, I realized early on that I wanted to have a different story whenever that time came for my home, okay? I wanted uh, a lot more hallelujahs in my home, okay? So the Lord helped me out by sending me a very lovely and faith-filled wife, Gilda. On January the 6th, 1973, we celebrated 50 years of our love story together, okay? Thank you. A month later, I became a Christian. I gave my life to Christ as Lord and Savior, and that began our faith story together, 
I was a senior at Rice University playing baseball. Um, Gilda was the only one working at the time, so we didn't have much income. But so we decided we wanted to do something free that day, and there was a free art festival in downtown Houston, so we decided to go there. We're strolling along, looking at all the art and everything, and then all of a sudden, we come to this vendor in this booth, and we see this scripture painting, which I guess may be up now, okay? Not, I read that, and I was a young Christian. I had never seen that verse before. I was sent, my breath was taken away. I just not, we talked about it, and, and she, Gilda agreed that we, this would be great, but the problem was it was $50, and we didn't have that kind of money in our budget. We looked at it, we wanted it, but we turned and left and, and went and got in our car and was driving back home uh, to the north side of Houston. We were still talking, and so, you know, we wanted that, and not only did we want it, but we needed it. I took a quick exit off of I-45, turned around, and we went back, okay, bought that scripture painting, okay, and brought it home to hang in our home, okay? A rendition now of that painting, uh, scripture hangs in all of our son's home. They are godly, strong, loving uh, uh, husbands and wives and family, okay? So blessed, and it is our prayer, and it has been our prayer, that that same legacy of 2415 will be passed on to their children, our grandchildren, to their children, our great-grandchildren, and that they too will live a faith story of Joshua 2415. Okay, so I'm going to be reading uh, Psalm 78. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his powers and his mighty wonders, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Amen. So thanks, to, thanks to Coach Insai. You know, the cool thing about stories like this is it's not just Coach's stories now. He said that. It's my story. It's my kids' stories. But it's also your story. That's the really cool thing about being in. We get to share each other's stories. You know, in, in, in Psalm 78, it referenced five generations. So I would love for all of us at the Hills Church to always be thinking about two generations before us, our generation, and two generations after us. Yeah, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be cool? Um, you know, like coach, right now, this morning, you might find yourself thinking, I don't really like the story I'm in. I want a different story. Or maybe like, I, that's cool that the, that the Shelbys have that story. I don't have that story. You can be like coach. You can be a cycle breaker. You can jump in the story of God today, right where you are. And the cool thing is you get all the benefits. You don't have to earn your way into the family. You just jump in and say, I wanna be a part of the story. 
that's why we get together every week like this. It's to resituate ourselves, reorient ourselves, reconnect with the realist story that there is. And um, I'm gonna skip this because I see I'm, I'm going long. Um, but I was just gonna nod back to kids' story. I'm just really excited about kids' story. Uh, okay, in the moment, I'm just gonna give you one practical, okay? Just one practical. Um, I think in families, we need to re, um, reinstitute the family dinner and tell stories together. Um, if you live by yourself, I think you need to get with other families and tell stories. Um, right now in your homes, if you are not immersed in scripture every day in some way, I'm gonna give you something really simple you can do. You can get on your phone after I talk or right now if you want to, and you can download Lectio for Families you're going to see it up here. Um, or Lectio 365 if you're an adult and want to do it by yourself. But this, this is a rhythm that you can get in every day to immerse yourself um, in Scripture. So one way we can build our lives around the presence of God is to tell stories and to tell the right stories because we're being bombarded with all kinds of stories. The next one is to pray hungry. <laughs> I think one of the most important prayers we can pray right now in a secular age is a prayer welcoming the presence of God. In a godless culture, our hearts must cry out for His presence. Like, do we really want Him here? And when we cry out to God and tell Him, I want you here, something really amazing happens. A spiritual reality emerges right in the middle of a secular one. You can do that wherever you are. You can say, God, I want you in my life. I want you in my family. I want you in my marriage. I want you in my work. Let's just start praying those, those kinds of prayers. Uh, I sense a prayer movement in this church. It's probably been here for a really long time. Chris Hatchett talked about the history of the church at 8.30 of the Hills Church. Um, but here recently, especially with the Ask for Nations and Generations vision, I've seen this church, our hearts be stirred for hungry kind of prayers. We're asking for, for nations and generations. There's actually been a prayer room that's been started informally, a group of people coming together just to seek God's presence. And so if you wanna show up on July 11th between six and seven or seven and eight down in the downstairs student room on Tuesday mornings, join us. We're praying hungry kind of prayers in the morning. We're asking Jesus to come, to come. So we can tell stories, we can pray hungry, and then we can lay down. I feel like, EJ, you and I colluded and we didn't know it. Lay down. <laughs> Telling stories and praying hungry might seem like things we can do, but really, if we want to build our, our lives around the presence of God, we have to lay down our lives. Jesus is the rightful king, but we must crown him. We must make space for him. We must say he has the throne of our lives. So right now, we have to lay down every other story getting in the way. We have to lay down anything else taking up our time. You know, if we're praying hungry, Jesus, we want you, but we're so crowded. Remember that thing I was sensing the Lord saying about the next generation? If we're so crowded that there's no space for him, are we really hungry? And I'm not sure which one comes first, praying hungry or, or laying down. But as I was preparing for this, for this lesson, I, I feel like I had like four or five sermons that, that came. 
and had to kind of weed through and I was getting a little anxious about it actually. And so I asked my husband, Chris, to go for a walk with me on the trails in the back of our house and he was praying for me. And as he was praying, I just envisioned myself like in front of the throne room. And so I just said, not out loud, he's praying. I just said, Jesus, you can have it all. And as I said it in my heart, in my mind, the minute it left my mouth, I heard him say to me the same thing. You can have it all. It's the, it's the divine exchange. Jesus has everything for us, but are we so overfull, overstimulated, overwhelmed that we can't receive what he has to give? At camp this week, just a little story, a little girl, we had a prayer response time for our kids. These kids are hungry, by the way. Okay, so this little girl comes up and she said, would you pray for me? I, I have anxiety. And so I said, well, I, I, I'm not gonna pray for you, but I'm gonna just guide you and let you pray and listen. And so I just asked her if she could meet with Jesus. She said, yes. And I said, well, can you give him your anxiety? She did. I just asked her, what did he do with it? She told me. I said, what does Jesus wanna give you instead? She just sat there and she said, he wants to give me peace. I said, okay, well, what does that look like? And she said, he just touched me on the head and when he did, this warm light just filled me up from my head all the way to my toes. So the, so the next day, she, she came to find me at breakfast with her mom, who was also at camp. And she said, I have no anxiety this morning. And she said, I think it's because I gave Jesus my anxiety. And I think that's the, that's the laying down. Like we often want, we want the things of God without giving him the things that are getting in the way of, of receiving. So, yes, I'm gonna have to skip this too. I knew this was gonna happen. Okay, so <laughs> to build our lives around the presence of God, we can tell stories, we can pray hungry, we can lay down. But when we lay down, we can rise up by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in trying to make a name for ourselves or trying to take matters into our own hands, but when we humble ourselves, then He lifts us up. And right now, I think for the church, what we need to do is rise up and take our place in history, like step fully into these times. Here's what a lot of us have seen in Next Gen Ministry. We've seen an army rising up, and it's actually started with kids. So right now, I'm gonna ask some of my friends to come join me up here on the stage. And as they do, yeah, you five, come on, Levi. And as they do, <laughs> I wanna speak something to the next generation. I think this is a prophetic word. You may not be experiencing the things I'm gonna say right now, but I want these words to cast a vision for your future. Are you ready, next gen? Okay. Okay, next generation. I don't see a lot of kids and students in the room, but I'm speaking to you where you are. You are not addicted to technology. You are using your technology, your smartphones, your tablets, maybe even AI for kingdom purposes. You are not anxious and depressed. You are full of life and joy and you bring the transformative presence of God wherever you go. And you are not leaving the church. You are waking her up. Yeah. Your wonder, your awe, your fire, your passion, your hunger, they're inspiring us, the older generation, to get on board with you and to step into this story more fully. So may it be so in Jesus' name. Okay, can we flip around? So like v Valeria, Kaylee, 
I may have told you wrong, Willie, and then Dottie. Dottie, I'm going to make you walk. <clears throat> okay, so here are my friends kind of representing generations. And we're going to end by sharing Next Gen Manifesto with you. This is something that I wrote at our Next Gen Ministers Retreat in February of 2021. And today it will see the, the light of day through the voices of all generations. So I think one of the tactics of the enemy is to isolate and I think isolate generations. <clears throat> I was telling Valeria when I asked her to do this, I was saying like, we need every generation. Like we need the awe and wonder in our kids. We need the passion and hunger in our young adults. We need the wisdom from, previ from previous generations. That's how God designed his body, but the enemy loves to divide us. So like today, would this be a visual, I think, of what God is doing as he's leveling up his church? I think one way he's doing it is by bringing us back together. Yeah, so here's what we're gonna do. You all are gonna participate, and this is the last thing. So this is my friend Levi. So kids, up to age 10, when Levi starts reading, you're going to stand up with Levi. There's a refrain in this manifesto, and it's, we are an army. So when your generation stands up, you're going to say, we are an army. Kids, you got it? Then Levi's going to read a paragraph, and then he's going to hand the microphone to Valeria. So if you're like, we're going to say like 11 to 25, you're going to stand with Valeria. And then she's gonna, you're gonna say with her, we are an army, but kids don't sit down. Kids, you're gonna stay up the whole time because you're leading us today, okay? Then Valeria's gonna pass the microphone to Kaylee. So if you're like, let's say 26 to 45, you're gonna stand up with Kaylee. And then all those generations together, we're gonna say we are an army. She's gonna pass it to Willie. If you're 46 to 60, you're gonna stand up with Willie. See, we're gonna have four generations standing up saying we are an army. And then Miss Dottie down here, if you're over 60, you're gonna stand with her. So we should all be standing at the end saying we are an army together. Are you ready, Levi? Mm -hmm, say this one really loud. Okay, so I'm gonna have to trust you that you're gonna get it. So if you're a kid, you need to stand up right now. All kids. There we go. Okay. We are an army. We have a leader. Our leader is Jesus. We will follow him anywhere. He is our king and our friend. We know him. We trust his voice. We obey his calling. He tells us who we are. He has all power and authority, and he shares it with us. So wait for that. Uh, I guess um, 11 to 25-year-olds, Sand. We are an army. We have an enemy. Our enemy is real. We know his tactics are lies, confusion, chaos, destruction, and death. We are aware of his activity when we see it. We are not deceived by his lesser stories of materialism, secularism, consumerism, and individualism. Our armor and weapons include truth, scripture, worship, and prayer. We practice using these every day. We are an army. We have a purpose. Our purpose is loving God and loving others as we pursue the kingdom of God. The world needs us. They have been deceived. They need light and revelation, insight, healing, and breakthrough. They need to discover the way, the truth, and the life. 
We're on an assignment and living our calling. We're not self-actualizing. We are self-emptying, following in the footsteps of Jesus. All right, 45 to 60, let's go. We are an army. We are equipped and activated. Our training is constant. We know where the battle is, it's in the heavenly realms. We lock arms with our brothers and sisters, gaining ground for the good king and leaving his good kingdom in our wake. We have the armor of God. We have the word of God as truth. And we have the Holy Spirit as our constant companion. We are an army. We have a story. It's the best story and the only true beautiful story there is. So we keep retelling it for all generations. So each generation can set its heart anew on God. This is how we meet the moment. We tell stories. We pray hungry. We lay down our lives. We rise up to meet the moment in the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his purposes for us in these times. Okay, so everybody, let's say it one last time. We are an army. All right, give this crew a hand. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, you can stay standing. So we're about to sing about building our lives on this real story, the only real story there is. And so right now, I just wanna activate this room to respond in some way, to meet the moment. You can meet like this moment right here. This is a moment that you, that you can meet and it's a moment that God can meet you right here in this moment. So for some of you, it might be that you just wanna pray with your family right there where you are. How can our family meet this moment? For others of you, it may be time to lay down your life, maybe in baptism or some, some other way for prayer response. Will they come out? Have I not given them enough time? Oh, you're there. So however, would you respond some way right there in your chair or coming forward for prayer response as our team comes forward? So let's meet this moment, church. Let's meet this moment. I know that God will meet us in this moment. Blessings.